Welcome to the Grace City Church Podcast, where we believe that Jesus died to reconcile us to God, to others, and to make us reconcilers. We're so glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're watching, God is doing transforming work in you through this message. Talking about choices today, the decisions that we make, and as I was thinking about it, I couldn't help but think about that phrase that gets said sometimes in our politics, where it says, elections have, who knows it, consequences. Elections have consequences. It's one thing I was thinking about because, you know, a lot of people said it. Donald Trump said it. Barack Obama has said it. And when the winner says that, elections have consequences, they're usually looking at the loser and they're like, hey, elections have consequences. Hey, stinks. Here I am. You know what I'm saying? And then for the general public, the idea is elections have consequences. The point is when you vote, someone gets elected into office, they make policy. That policy brings consequences. So your decisions have effect. That's true for everything, right? Like the decisions we make do have consequences. The decisions we make, whether they're big decisions or small decisions. Here's a little fact. I Googled it so I know it's true. It says the average adult is estimated to make about 35,000 decisions every day. Isn't that crazy? Like some of those are little and some are big. Right? Hopefully we're not making 35,000 big decisions daily, but some are little, right? Like, what you going to eat for breakfast? Do you eat breakfast? Some people don't. I don't understand. What you going to wear to church? You know, how many times are you going to hit that snooze? Like that, you know what I'm saying? Like those decisions. But then there's other larger decisions that we make in life that have significant consequence on our life. I mean, big decisions. Where are we going to live? The church we're going to worship at, where we're going to send our kids to school. Are we going to get married? If so, who to? These big things, too, big decisions. And, and here's the truth. It is true that our decisions have consequences, but from our text today, I want to make the point and really argue for something that we see in the text that I believe is biblically true, that it's not so much what we decide that has consequence, but how we decide it. That it's not so much, biblically, what we decide that has consequence, but how we decide it. And so I literally want you to be thinking about how you make decisions and choices today. Chapter 13, verse 1. Let's get into it. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with them. If you remember and you were here last week, Abram had not inquired of the Lord and gone down into Egypt. That decision was made most likely out of the idea of self-preservation. There was a famine. He's not going to talk to God about what he should do. He's going to leave the place God had told him to go and go down to Egypt. Now we got him coming up out of Egypt after that encounter where he lied about his wife being his sister. He's coming up out of Egypt with his wife and with Lot. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and gold and silver. That word very wealthy is heavy. Literally, he's become burdened, literally, with resources and money because livestock was money back then. And like the notorious B.I.G. said, mo money, mo and that's what we're going to find out today, family, more money, more problems. Really, that's kind of the, the context or the backdrop for this idea of choices today. So from the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, Beth, house, El, God, house of God, to the place between Bethel and Ai, get this, this is actually important, 
where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abraham called on the name of the Lord. One commentator said, you can't miss the significance of Abraham's return to the place he had been. He had been in Egypt. Now he's returning. And if you notice, the end of verse 3 and the beginning of verse 4 are emphasizing he has returned. His tent had been there earlier. This is the place he had built an altar, and there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. So what is most likely happening? Abram is, is returning to his former way of worship. He had made a decision earlier that was out of self-preservation and selfishness to go to Egypt, and now he's returning to the place where God had told him to go near the land of Canaan, that Bethel, the house of God, and he's calling on the name of the Lord. So he's returning to his former way of worship. Here's the thing. As we talk about decisions, and we talk about choices and how we make them, I want to start off with some hope. That God is in the business of righting our wrong decisions, of restoring us to our former way of worship, to bring us back to see God more clearly. I don't know about you, but seriously, as you think back about some of the decisions you made, I mean, I think we all have bad decisions we've made in our past, right? And you can look back, and some of them are little, right? Like, you might think back, and you're like, I remember that time I went to that restaurant and ordered that meal, and then I had my friend let me taste a bite of their food, and I took a bite of their food, and mine, I was like, dang it, food envy, the whole meal, I just couldn't, you know, I wanted what they had. But sometimes there's bigger decisions, seriously, decisions you've made that have created havoc in your life, possibly choices you've made, literally you've made that have strayed you from God and caused damage maybe in your life or with the people around you. A lot of us have bad decisions we've made. Some of them we're not proud of. Some of them we get into a church like this and like the last thing I want to do is ever talk about this decision I made. And before we go on today, I just want to again say that there is hope for us there. What we get is our great, great spiritual granddaddy, Abram, returning to his former way of worship and calling on the name of the Lord. He had jeopardized earlier the covenant mother by lying about her being his sister when she is his wife and in some ways put the promises of God at jeopardy, but God was faithful even when Abram wasn't to bring him back to now we're going to get to see this decision that's really based in faith. So I just want to tell you, regardless of what that is, that there's hope for you there, and I hope you get to hear it in this text today. Verse 5. Now Lot, who is moving about with Abram, also have flocks and herds and tents. But the land couldn't support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, were living there also at the time of the land. The idea is full, but what we get, man, Notorious B.I.G. was right, right? Mo money, mo. Problems, that's really what we see. Like the resources of the land couldn't support or the resources of Lot and Abram's entire extended family and workers. Like literally, most likely what's happening is the grass couldn't support all the sheep. You know what I mean? Like they couldn't support it. They might have gone down to the bank to let their, their livestock drink water, and they were bumping up against each other. Lot's herders and Abram's herders. 
Maybe they got confused about which sheep were which. You know what I'm saying? They didn't have like spray paint back then. Now people put an X on their sheep or something like this. It's like they didn't have that. It's like, that's my sheep. I don't know. But like whatever, the land couldn't support them. And so quarreling arose. Here's a really like, there's, there's a lot to do here, and I'm not going to do a lot, but I am going to do a little bit. That it is true, because this is the backdrop for choices, okay? This is the backdrop for, for the, the, this really cautionary tale of decision-making, and it's, it's a lot of resources. Let me read you one common, um, commentary, just a mention they said about this. They said, not having enough can be a problem, but truthfully, we often don't recognize that having too much is usually the problem the Scriptures discuss. Read, let's read our New Testament. Like this is, like not having enough is a problem, can be a problem. The Bible even talks to that at times. But having too much is generally the problem that the Bible is addressing. Yet how often do we think about having too much being a problem? Hey, you know, I'm just, you know, in group, got a prayer request. I got too much money in my bank account. I just, I don't know what to do with it all. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got too many cars, too many houses, too much clothes. I got so many T-shirts. just don't know what to put on in the morning. You know, like, we don't think about that a lot, but generally, seriously, like, the admonition from the Scriptures is, hey, pay attention. Like, a lot of resources can get complicated. Like, it is easy for our heart to go astray. Literally, an admonition in Deuteronomy 17 to a king is to not acquire too much gold and silver and horses because your heart might be led astray. That's an admonition. Be careful is the idea because what we see is these resources cause problems. And the text doesn't say this explicitly, but we were talking about it in the teaching team, and it's a fascinating thing to think about because where did Abram start to become more rich, rich and wealthy? Egypt. So he makes that decision. If you read, go back and read chapter 12, you see it more explicitly. Go back and look at it. He, so that decision that was birthed out of Self-preservation and just self-focus is actually gives him resources that then ends up causing this problem and this quarreling with Lot. So again, there is tons of meat on the bone of talking about how having too much can create problems. But I'm going to let Holy Spirit do all the application, all right? Let's keep on with our text. <clears throat> so Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. The idea there, the word is actually brothers. They're not biological brothers. Lot is Abram's nephew, but it's like we're, we're tight. We're close relatives. It's not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right, and if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. How does Abram make this decision? This is huge, family, and I don't, I don't know what your rubric is. I'm curious, what, like, what your rubric is to make decisions, like the how. Anybody ever made a pro-cons list before? Don't lie to me. Many of us have done it. At least in our mind, we do it. We make that list to try to determine what we should do. But again, the question is, is how are we making it? What defines a pro? What defines a con? And look what Abram does in his decision-making process. He says, we're not going to quarrel. Two, two big things you see from Abram right here. First is this. He elevates the relationship over his economic upper hand. 
He elevates the relationship with Lot, his close relative, over his economic status. What do I mean? Abram's the patriarch. So as long as Lot is joined with Abram's family, there is a sense in which Abram is actually the leader of all of these resources. He's actually the leader. And he is saying the relationship matters more than my position or authority. I don't know if y'all heard that. He's saying the relationship matters more. The second thing he does, and this is like the heart stabber, he yields his right or waves his right as the elder to the choice. You see what I'm saying? Abram, as the older, when they decide to leave, he is the one who has the right to pick the land. He is the one who has the right to say, I'm going to pick this land, I'm going to pick left, or I'm going to pick right. But instead of doing that, he says, Lot, you choose. That's what happens right here. And this presents, this is the framework or the context for where we see this cautionary tale of choices and where I want us to, again, wrestle with how are we making decisions. And I want to go ahead and say it from the beginning. Like, there's 35,000 decisions you make every single day. How are you making them? And this is what we see. This is ultimately what we're going to see in this text. Lot makes decisions by sight. Abram makes decisions by faith. Lot makes decisions according to the flesh. Abram makes a decision according to God's faithfulness. And so what we're going to see is Abram making this faith decision and Lot making this sight decision. And the big question for us is really to, to ask ourselves, how are we making these decisions? By sight or by faith? So look at Lot, the first one. So Abram gives him this choice, and this is how Lot makes the decision in verse 10. Lot looked around. Everybody say look. Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, see like the ominous like parentheses right here? Like, ah, like even people who didn't grow up in the church know about Solomon Gomorrah, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't even know what it was, but something bad about this, Solomon Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company, verse 12. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom and where that sentence was ominous, now it's plain, verse 13, now the people of Sodom were wicked, and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Back to verse 10. So how does, a, so how does Lot make this decision? I think he makes the decision literally how we would make the decision, by sight. He looks at this land. He, 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 he looks around. He sees the whole land, and what does he do? So I'm going to pick the land that's more watered. Like, that's how we would make a decision, right? Like, you look at, all right, I get this choice. How do I make this decision? I do my pros and cons list. You know, I go, okay, what are my pros? Well, this got more water. Maybe this grass is greener. It reminds me of the land of Egypt. That was a flourishing place. It reminds me of the garden of the Lord. So I'm going to pick this. He makes a sight decision. Here's an important thing as we even talk about sight decisions. His decision is not evil. It's just not based on faith. His decision is not evil. It's just not informed by inquiring of the Lord. Look at this one commentator said about this passage on Lot's decision. 
Lot chose the plain because of its potential to multiply his wealth without regard to the morality of the people he would be living among. So how did he choose it? The same way I think we would choose it. He looks out, he's pros and cons, and he's like, I'm going to take this land. That pros and cons list, again, if we do it, I think many of us do. But here's my question. What is the lens you use to define something as a pro or a con? What's the lens you use? Typically, I know, I'm just going, what, how does, pro, how does this positively affect me? Right? How is this going to go well for me? How is this going to help me? How am I going to get more money, more freedom, more something I want? I'll be able to realize my purpose? Con, how is this inhibiting me from realizing the things that I want to, like, that's literally how he makes the decision. He just, he looks out and says, I'm going to make this decision based on my sight. And that's how he picks. This is a sight decision. You know, Lot was, an, Lot was an opportunist in a lot of ways, back to our text. So Abram gives him the choice, and Lot doesn't go, hey, Abram, no, 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 you pick. You're the one who has the right to pick, you know? He doesn't go, Abram, I want to think about you first because God made this big promise to you that the whole world's going to be blessed through your descendants, so you pick. Lot's like, well, let me do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got my opportunity. I'm going to jump at it. Here's the truth. I'm an opportunist. Anybody else an opportunist? Like, I'm like, I see my chance. I'm like, let's jump in. Like, going to capitalize. You know, like, I think that way. I was reflecting on this, and I was thinking back about a time how that part of me has gotten our church in trouble. And I was thinking two years ago, um, right before all the pandemic stuff happened, we were as elders discussing all the things that were coming up in the life of our church. And we had a lot of things coming up. One was we were going to start an internship for college students for the first time that summer. Another thing, we were going to start a, uh, a after-school care or, or camp, excuse me, at the Pink House. Another thing is we, we, had, um, we were going to do our first international mission trip. We were planning that. Another thing we were doing is we were going to start this whole kind of academic summer. We were going to call it Grace U, and we we're going to do like this theological training for everybody. I also had two mission trips I was going to go preach at. I was doing seminary at the same time, and I remember, like, talking through all of this and Will and Richard being like, what are you doing? And literally, they were saying, what have you done to us? Like, where, like, we can't do all this, but I'm an opportunist, so, like, I see it as good, like, my eyes see it, I'm like, I want to jump on it, this door has opened, I want to walk through this door, it's an opportunity, right? Like, be like, the door is open, I should walk through it, this is opportunity, don't you know that Satan can be opening doors too? We think just because the pathway has cleared, that means it's God? You think Satan don't want to open doors for you? He want to open doors for you to take this, ne- this job, but you should do this. You're going to make more money. Like, there's a, more, there's a greater opportunity. Like, like, Satan be opening doors too, family, because he wants our mind to be captured by those sight things. He really can make pathways. Listen, just because this has been moved out of the way and this opportunity has come does not mean it's from God. That is not what that means. You know what I'm saying? Like, God's this really beautiful person put in my life. God wants me to marry them. Like, no, that doesn't mean that. Like, like it doesn't mean that. Let me tell you something. Every promotion is not from God. God's not like, I just want them to make more money. So I want to create a way for them to do that. I want them to have this house because it's going to be bigger and there's going to be more space for them to rest and to indulge in comfort. Like you think that's, 
Like, though we know that Satan can be opening doors too. Again, Lot is thinking predominantly about multiplying his wealth rather than inquiring of the Lord. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that those things cannot be from God. I'm not saying that open door is, is, is not from God. I'm just saying it's not necessarily from God. And my big point is not what decision you make, but I believe what we see in this text is how you make that decision. Do we inquire of the Lord first, or is our lens as we make those pros and cons primarily self? And we operate as a great individualist, not considering the people that we are going to be around, the people we might hurt, but thinking how it benefits me. I thought, like, I told the last service, like, this is not a sermon people gonna like. But it's something seriously to consider. Seriously to consider. What, why is this door opened? Is this truly what God would want me to think about? Is this predominant way I'm thinking about it myself? Like, like one of the big things here, and we don't know how much Lot knew the people of Sodom were sinning greatly. The text doesn't tell us that. So we can't be sure. But what we do know is, again, he's making that decision based on self, and him unawaringly making that decision has put him in a context where he will be surrounded by people who sin greatly, which is going to eventually basically end up, end up in Lot's destruction. And I think how often we want to make a decision, and we're not thinking about the people that it puts us around or the people we're leaving to go to that decision. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't consult people. Oftentimes, I think we don't consult people in our decisions and choices because we want to just do what we want to do. So we do not bring it into community. Instead, we hold it tight to our chest so that we can make the decision, not truly asking God to, to evaluate us and filter us and shake us up so that we can truly think about what he wants, inviting it into community. Instead, we're like, no, nah, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And a lot of times, those decisions we make do end up creating a lot of damage. This is Lot's decision. He represents this decision by sight. But let me tell you this. For the people of God, he reorients us and we start making decisions differently. We become faith people. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. <clears throat> it says this. For we live by faith and not by sight. Another verse in Romans says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. We live by faith and not by sight. I want you to hear that. This is, this is who we are. This is how we live. What I love about this verse is it's not telling you you should live by faith and not by sight. It's telling you as a person of God, you do live by faith and not by sight. You, we live by faith and not by sight. When Christ gets in us and we unite with him, we start to become people who live by faith and not by sight. I want you to hear that. Like, like the lens on decision-making and how we live our life, or, or another translation will say walk is the idea. The way we walk out into this world is now marked by faith. We're entrusting God. Look at how Abram makes his decision in verse 9. Let me show you again. He says, let's not have quarreling, verse 8, between your herders and mine. We're close relatives. It's not the whole land before you. Let's part company. And listen to what he says. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. 
This is an incredible act of faith. This land, this is a promise God had given earlier in chapter 12. Like, the land was supposed to be the place where Abram would go so that the promise of God could be fulfilled and his descendants were going to occupy it. This isn't like some small decision. This is a huge decision. And what is Abram doing? Abram's yielding his right to make the decision and truly giving it to Lot, whom he had just been having conflict with. A couple things. Let me say this first. because this is One of the ways Abram makes his faith decision is by yielding or waiving his right to choose. This is crazy. It's like the most anti-American thing ever, right? He has a right to choose, but he yields it in generosity. Let me show you what one commentator says about this passage, about Abram's decision. Abram, on the other hand, walking by faith, generously gave up the choice land to Lot. Generosity is the evidence of a living faith, for faith does not selfishly seek its own desires, but is self-denying and magnanimous. Abram gives up his rights in faith and trust of God. Do we know that this idea of, of Christians walking by faith, making those faith choices, like the idea of yielding our rights is all over the place? What do you think, like, so I... Um, a lot of times I'm coming early and leaving later, so I don't get to come, like, with the majority of our people to church on Sunday. Um, you know, usually when y'all show up about 10 minutes late, like, I'm not usually arriving at that time. Just kidding. I'm not usually arriving at that time, but I did the other day get to do that and see the traffic, and for some reason, I don't even know why. This was a couple weeks ago. I had, it had me thinking. I was like, I wonder how our people do yielding in traffic, like, leaving and entering church. You know what I'm saying? I don't know why I was thinking about this. I was like, I was wondering how they do. Like, like, like when you're leaving church and you get to a place and you know it's like people from your church who know you, like do you let two cars go by or just one? Or like, like what do you do, you know? Because I know how you be living on those streets, right? I know how you be living on those streets. That is one of the one thing I've like been like, we will never have is Grace City bumper stickers. Because I'm like, y'all be not. Nah, that's, not that's not encouraging our witness in the world. You know what I mean? Like, but I just, it's like idea, though, of, of waving a right. But the truth is a lot of us, honestly, like out there, like literally we have the, even in traffic, someone cuts us off. You stole my right. I was driving. You got in my way. We get angry because our right has been infringed upon unwillingly. Here, Abram willingly gives up his right. Think about that. Listen, this is, this is like not only true in the Old Testament, this is all over the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul's writing to the church because they have lawsuits among them. Suing each other. And this is Paul's exhortation to them. Not, okay, who's right and who's wrong so I can help really navigate this complex situation. This is literally what he says. You should go read 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? You're like, what kind of advice? Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Read 1 Peter. 1 Peter is crazy. It's all about how we live up under unjust leadership. And it is so not what the world says. The world says, stand up for your rights. Peter's like, lay it, like literally lay it down as a witness to the gospel. You're like, what? 
the most explicit maybe, though, Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. You shouldn't you should look only to your own interests, but to the interests of others, and you should have the same attitude of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Why give up our rights? Because the God who had the right to grasp, up, grasp on to divinity gave up his. Why yield? Because Jesus yielded for us. Because he literally poured himself out and came into the form of a human being to live a life we could never live because we were, even with our rights, were never going to be able to accomplish what we needed to accomplish. Jesus did it in our stead, and then what was unjust to him ended up making us a just people because he poured out his nature into us, and so we become his righteousness because he yielded, waived his right. This is God. This is the story of the gospel. How could we ever make these generous faith decisions? Only when we were first bathing in the truth that Jesus yielded his right for us. He became poor, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, so that we might become rich. This is the message of the gospel for us, that Jesus Christ loved you with such compassion and desire and commitment and faithfulness and sacrifice that he truly would yield what he rightfully deserved, which was not to live a life that he lived. He did not deserve to have to come onto this earth the way he came onto this earth. He did not deserve to be ridiculed, to be made fun of, to be lashed, you know what I'm saying, to be spit on, literally he was, to be slapped, literally he was, and then to be crucified on the cross. This is what he did. He, did that. he yielded his right and poured it into us. This is the gospel message. This is why we as choices can yield our right. Say, so you know what? You take this place at the table. I might should take this place, but you take this place. The credit might should be mine for whatever this is. I don't need it. You take it. It's a different kind of living. Right yielding. To literally go, you know what, I, I do. I think about a couple things. Think about time and money. This is the money that I worked for. I have the right to do with it. You know what I'm saying? As I please. I'm working really hard, so treat myself. I put the time in. Do we see that these can be such sight decisions? And I'm not saying, again, that it's, we never take the promotion. That's not what I'm saying at all. Don't mishear me. I'm not saying we never acquire. I'm just saying, what's, how are we making those decisions? What's the lens we're looking through? That's one of the things I think can get so hairy with the idea of 10% giving. You know, it's like, is it in the Old Testament somewhere? Is it in the New Testament the same way? I would argue absolutely not. I don't think you can make a super great case for it, but nevertheless, secondary issue. <clears throat> but the idea of generosity and this is why 10% can get complicated. For those of us, and as many Americans can, many of you, maybe not, we're young, but like as older you get, it's like 10% starts, it can not even be a big deal. And then what happens is we start checking a box at 10%, and we feel good, 
And then we go, now I have the right, because I gave this to God, to the other 90. You think that's a sight? Is that a sight or a faith decision? It's all God's. So that means regardless of even how much you give in regards to generosity, the rest of it's his. So how do you start stewarding the rest of it like it's his? Managing it like it's his. Spending it like it's his. And that's why, like, we can't just get into this box-checking Christianity where we think it's about entering something. God already poured out his life onto us. He's made us rich. And so now we, like Abram, start being generous. Look, generously gave up the choice to lot. Generosity is the evidence of this living faith. But here's what I, my favorite part of this is this, this is just such an act of trust. Go back to his decision. Verse 9. Let's part company. If you go left, I'll go to the right. If you go right, I go to the left. This is why I think the, this is why I think the how matters more than the what. This promise is an important promise because it represents his blessing coming to us. This is God, the way God tells his salvific, redemptive plan throughout history. So in, you could argue it's about the most important decision that could be made, but he's like, you go left, I'll go right. If you go right... I'll go left. Why? Because the how for him now is it's not so much the what, it's the how. And the how he knows is attached to God. So this is an act of trust. Literally, he's like, you go left, I'll go right because I know God's got me to the right. You go right, that's good. I'll go left because I know God's got me to the left. It's literally like going, this job or that job, I know whatever job I take, God's going to get me. Like, wherever I move, God's got me. Whatever church I'm a part of, God's with me. And it's going to be all right if the how is in order. Because the lens is trusting Christ. There's another verse in Colossians 3.23. It says this. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as though you're working for the Lord and not for men. It's like, you can do anything. And if you're doing it for God, you're good. This is so freeing, especially if you think back about the bad consequences or bad decisions you made and the consequences that you might still be dealing with. Or you're like, maybe I made this mistake or that mistake and this was wrong. And it might have been wrong. But here's what I want you to know. It don't matter if you're in God right now, you all right. If you're in Christ and you're learning to trust him and like Abram got back to a place where he's inquiring of the Lord again, he's worshiping the Lord, you're going to be good. This is crazy for us. We become kind of untouchable as the people of God. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love this story. This is a story of these three Christians who were really under pagan government and leadership who get put into a fire. But before they do, they say this. Their choice of what's going to happen to them has been completely removed. Their, their right was taken away from them, not by choice. And then they say, my God can rescue us. He will rescue us. And even if he doesn't, we're good. It's crazy. It's crazy. Like we start to realize God is genuinely, regardless of where we are, working in our lives for our good. And if it's not feeling good the way that we want it to, he's just working in our contentment. Philippians chapter 4, I found the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether being well-fed or hungry, whether living in want or in plenty, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse is about contentment, not winning a football game. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can do all things. I'm in Christ, and now, not, no matter what the what is, no matter what the consequence is, I can be good. Listen, this is how we can bear up under suffering. This is how we can bear up under oppression. 
This is how we can bear up under an unjust boss. This is how we can bear up, listen, in a marriage that is not going the way that you want it to go. You want to talk about that, but that happens, doesn't it? Be quiet. Ain't nobody going to talk back. Like, where it's not going the way you want it to go. You're like, you're not even who I thought you were. Does that happen? That can happen. You can have an accident and your spouse be stricken with something. Have a chronic illness and you're like, this is not what I thought I signed up for. And it's not what you signed up for. But guess what? God's got you to the left and God's got you to the right. Regardless. Like, do you see what happens to the Christian in our decision-making process? It just changes the game for us. We start trusting him with whatever we do. And this can feel paralyzing, but it's actually supposed to be motivating. Because it's like, oh, now what, what do I do? You pray and you just go. And it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Just take a step. Trust God. Lead with mission, like Richard said. Know that when you lead with mission, God has promised, Matthew 6, New Testament, God has promised to care for your needs. He's got you. So you don't need to be so concerned about the needs, so concerned about the money and all this kind of stuff, because now you can just trust God and go. Here's one of the things. It's really beautiful. I want you to see this. This is Abram's decision. You got Lot's decision. And then go into verse 14. Look what happens. The Lord, so this is after, so the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around. Everybody say look. Look around from where you are to the north and the south, to the east and the west. So they, they part. The Lord says to Abram, look around. Look at verse 10. Back to verse 10 real quick. Lot looked around. There's a word play. Lot looks around in verse 10. Now back to 14. Now the Lord says, Look around. So what happened? Lot made a decision based on sight. Abram makes a decision based on faith. And now God gives Abram spiritual sight. Do you feel it? Lot makes this decision based on sight in the flesh. Abram makes a decision based on faith in God's faithfulness. And now the Lord is telling Abram, look around and see all of what's going to happen. You didn't know what the what was, what the consequence was going to be of your decision. You had no idea, but look at what I have in store for you. He says, look around where you are to the north, the south, the east, and the west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. Wouldn't have mattered if you went right, Abram, or if you went left. I'm going to give it to you. Look at verse 16. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, I like this, walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. God in this moment is recommitting his promise to Abram to be with him. He's like, you made that decision in faith, and you didn't know what Lot was going to pick, and it didn't even matter. I'm with you, and this promise still stands because great is God's faithfulness. Family, some of us do have incredibly bad decisions in our past. And here's what I just want you to know. Great is God's faithfulness. Great is his mercy. Some of us have big decisions ahead, and here's what I want you to know. Great is God's faithfulness. Great is his mercy. 
What do we do? We inquire of the Lord now. We return to worship. That pros and cons list starts to shift from what is best for me and what's worse for me. And we start thinking about who is God. And how do the scriptures inform the decision I make? And I don't just do that because I need to read my Bible, but because I want to worship as I make the decision. I start to consult community differently because I know God's given us the communion of the saints. And sometimes the decision can put us in a bad place with community. But instead, I'm going to consult them and let them shape and filter me. And I'm going to pray and acknowledge that whatever I choose, this is like a beautiful promise for the Christian, whatever you choose, if you're in Christ, watch it work out. And what I mean by work out is not that it's going to go well for you, but that it's going to go well for you. I hope you hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's going to go well. I'm not saying it's going to be good, but it's going to be great. Because greatness gets redefined. The promises of God start to break through and have their effect in our lives. So verse 18, Banyan, come up. The last verse. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he pitched his tents, and there he built an altar to the Lord. He worships. This is like an inclusio. If you remembered, I think it's verse 5. It starts with him worshiping again. And verse 18, he builds an altar so it represents worship again. Inclusio is just a fun biblical way to say bookends. So it's bookends. But why bookends matter is because bookends are helping us understand the point of it all. And the point of it all is worship. The point of it all is that God is faithful even when we're not. The point of it all is like, you know what the biggest, the biggest part of our decision-making process is? It's just, it's worshiping God. It's that this whole life is his. It's about him. That's how we make decisions. Let me tell you this story kind of to end our time. Um, this this Abram ser- Abraham series, um, I know I say Abram, Abraham constantly wrong. And then he changes, it gets confusing. But this Abraham series um, has got me thinking a lot because of all these missional, like this commission aspect of it to go. Thinks a lot about how we started this church. I'm thinking about that in my, my prep and study. And it, it just reminded me, this text did of, of really some of the conversations that led up to us moving to Charleston, which was such a significant decision for us because we were in a place in a church that we loved. Like some people plant churches because they dislike the churches they came from, we love, we love, which is true. Like we love the church. And so it was complicated. I never, I was like, I don't know if we should go because I like it and I can see my future here and it's good, but maybe we should. And I was like, I don't really know. And I was having conversations with the leadership and they were very, conf- uh, you know, affirming. And I remember one conversation where uh, one of the pastors said, Will, I've told 100 people they're not a church planner. You are a church planner. I was like, thank you. And he said, but that doesn't mean it's going to work. I was like, well, that isn't helpful now. And um, he's like, that's the Holy Spirit's job. And he's like, you can't know. I was like, all right. You know, I remember a conversation, like, kind of where it became real, and we were sitting at lunch, and he was like, you going to do this? And it just kind of came out. I was like, yeah. I was like, okay, I guess I said yes. You know, I was like, I guess that's what I'm doing. And it never was like, this is for sure, you know, it's, it just was like, I guess I'm just going to go. But I remember this one thing, and this was a conversation with God before we left. Just talking to him about the future and what the future held. And I just, you know, you can't see it. Like, as leaders, like, you have vision for the future. It's like, no, you really don't. I mean, you just <laughs> you have ideas. Like, we don't know. And I couldn't see it. And I just remember God being like, Will, I'm not guaranteeing this is going to work. But 
you making this decision, I just remember this strong sense of I am guaranteeing you're going to be different. I'm going to change you. I'm going to work in you. I'm going to mold you, and your faith will not be the same. And I was like, man. And this is what's the beautiful thing about being a Christian is that promise is true for you if you're in Christ. Regardless of the decision you make, and when you make some of the scariest, hardest, biggest decisions of your life, and you're like, I don't know. If you're in Christ and you're inquiring of the Lord, watch him change you. Watch him affirm his blessings to you. The scriptures say, he who began a good work in you, is you can be confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion. He will do that work in us. He's doing it in Abraham, and he wants to do it in us too. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we just want to come before you and lay all of our choices and decisions we make. Those 35,000 decisions we make a day, we want to just lay them all before you and ask God, really as an offering to you, and ask that you would give us the ability, only through you, the ability to trust you with them. To trust that you have our hand regardless of what we even decide. And I pray that would, that would transform our anxiety and worry into trust and peace. And I pray we could be a people who's marked with just that knowledge that you're with us, God. So much so that we become really kind of radical in our faith, being able to yield and give up our rights to other people who might not even be deserving of our right, but we do it as an act of generosity because you've been generous to us. There's so much richness here. God, the last thing I want to pray is this, is there's one choice that ain't like any other choice. And truthfully, you're the one who comes and gives us the power to make it. There's one choice that's not like any other choice, and that's the choice to follow you. And we recognize that anytime we gather, there are women and men who have never made that choice. They've never decided to follow you, Christ. And so we just want to we want to pray. I pray for them. I pray for whoever might be under the sound of my voice this morning who have not taken that step. And I just pray, God, you'd show them how good it is to follow you. How sweet it is to know that whatever we decide, we're good when we're in Christ. And that that lens of Christ could actually remove a lens that they might have had of old and a new eyes and a new heart could be put on. We're thankful for people around the room who will pray with us, whether we're making that decision to come to Christ or we just got a decision we need to make. And we just pray that you would minister to us even through the prayers of our prayer team who are around the room. Pray that you'd minister to us as we sing to you, that some of the words would even transform our thought processes. So again, we're thankful just that you're with us, Holy Spirit, and pray you continue to work with the rest of our time. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Church Podcast. Whether this is your first time with us or you find the Lord moving you to engage differently or just learn more about who we are, we encourage you to find us at our website at www.thegracecity.com to explore all of the ways that you can give, connect, and engage. Thank you again for being with us. Now go live as image bearers of the King.